here comes a new challenger. From 8-bit to 35mm, game pads to the silver screen, your favorite video game characters are on a quest to become movie icons. Can they unlock the achievement? Let's go for broke! It's time to press X to reload. Hey! Okay, Chief, what's this all about? Yeah, let's put the alarm. Well, if you all shut the hell up for a second and listen, maybe you'll find out. Honestly, I don't know. You don't know? That's right, Redfield, I do not know. What I do know is that Marini and Dooley are currently not answering their radios. Well, they're investigating a report of a body up by the Spencer Mansion. You think it's connected? Um, what's the Spencer Mansion? Well, as I think most of you know, Oswald Spencer was the creator of the Umbrella Corporation. And the mansion was his home until the year of his death in what the f are you doing here, Leon? <laughs> You said everyone into the briefing room, so here I am. I didn't mean you, you moron. Not you, Leon, everyone else. What if someone wanders sure, in and there's okay. no one behind the front desk, an old lady's looking okay. for her cat or something? Yeah, you're Jesus right. Christ, get right. back there, man, okay. and get a haircut, you goddamn hippie. It's not Woodstock. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Press X to Reload. It is time to mix those green, red, and yellow herbs to strengthen yourself for the next video game film <laughs> adaptation. I am Nick Moore. Joining with me are Wayne Brissett and Mark Athanas. Wayne. Uh, <laughs> and Mark. Stars. There we go. <laughs> uh, I'm an agent of stars. We are here to look at Resident Evil Reborn, rebooted, re-brought back to the theater, and resurrected. Oh. <laughs> oh, resurrected, reanimated, as it were. There we go. Now we're there. Done. We go. We found the reword for <laughs> RE Resident Evil. We're here for Welcome to Raccoon City, which is just a complete do-over. We had, I think, what seventeen different Resident Evil films with Mila Jovovich. <laughs> mm -hmm. I yes. watched all of them except Minimum. one. I don't care how dumb they got. She's great. <laughs> I've watched them all. I don't think I saw the last one. Yeah, the last one, I I just haven't bothered. I need to be at yeah. least a little bit drunk or a little bit tired. Agreed. <laughs> Maybe I'll marathon agree. them all. I don't know. But this is starting from scratch, and this is a faithful adaptation, which... For any fans out there who go, the reason video game movies aren't something that we love is you're not respecting the source material or adapting it. I feel like these guys tried. Whether or not they succeeded, we'll get into. But man, they really wanted to do a faithful adaptation. So if any of you fans hate it, careful what you wish for. <laughs> we'll start with Wayne because he's the one who hasn't seen this yet. I had watched it. Mark has watched it. We saw it together, so we know each other's initial impressions. This is a do-over to see if it holds up. Wayne, how is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Going in, I didn't know what to expect. I think I had low expectations because I heard a lot of mixed opinions on it, and yeah. then the more I started hearing, I started actually hearing negative uh, opposed to positive. So I kind of had had zero expectations, and I was pleasantly surprised how fun and good this movie was and like you said how well they adapted it now there's obviously some changes that are questionable yep when you're when you're already so faithful why did you change so such little things but it captured what everybody forgets is resident evil isn't just a horror it's cheese yeah and, and it mm -hmm. captures the cheese and the horror and i think a lot of people forget that and they want the horror they want a diehard horror movie and it's like but that's not what resident evil is sure it's classified as a survival horror game, but like when you hear the dialogue in the first Resident Evil, <laughs> the second Resident Evil, exactly. it's not scary. You're <laughs> laughing through these games, and I was doing the same thing in this movie. So, bravo! I thought they adapted one and two meshed together really well. I'm very much in agreement. Mark, how was it watching it a second time around? You know what? I'm I'm glad I gave it a second look. I I liked it the first time. And the second time around, there were little things that I forgot how much I enjoyed the first time. So 
it was kind of, it was a nice reminder to be like, oh yeah, I really like that little touch they did here or there, or the the tone, that shot, that setting. So yeah, I really really enjoyed it again. Solid movie, super solid. I agree, and same for myself. The first time I watched it, I think the main thing that I came away from was I was so surprised at the level of faithfulness that they attempted to keep with this. There are changes. We'll get into them. Yeah. yeah. But the overall plot of Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2 are here. They didn't just borrow a bunch of names and places. The plot points more or less line up. And I can't think of a lot of video game films that even try that. No, this might be the most faithful. No. Most. Right, <laughs> which you could argue would be to its detriment, except for it keeps the plot points, but then tries to have fun wherever it can and breathe a little bit of personality into it, because really, you control the game. So in the non-actiony moments or the non-plot point moments, what do they do to spruce up the characters? And there's some that work better than others. I was a little bit disheartened for what they did to my boy Leon. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's my only complaint. That's most my of them, only complaint. Most of them were handled pretty well. Legitimate and watching it complaint. a second time, because that surprise was no longer gone, I could kind of sit back and appreciate the little touches and how much of a fun 80s horror it is. Because that's ostensibly what they've made here. They've made an 80s horror film which is really what the mm -hmm. original Resident Evil games, and to a degree, even the current ones. I mean, you could talk about Resident 7, you know, going all dark and gritty, but it's still pretty silly at times, and 4 is the campiest thing I've ever played, and I adore it. Yeah. I'm currently playing through it again. <laughs> but there is this cheeky sense of humor to the Resident Evil series that doesn't take itself too seriously, and man, this movie nails that tone. Yeah. Let's get into some of the plot points, and I'm going to start with a question, because as much as I've played the Resident Evil games, some of the relationship connections and such, sometimes I have trouble with it. Did they drastically change the origin of Claire and Chris Redfield? Because I yeah, think I'm they did. Sure. Yeah, I don't remember anything with that orphanage. Right. Yeah, I can't speak to it because I've... Uh, in fact, I, I don't even think the, the orphanage is ever mentioned in part one. Like, it just doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, like I, I got out of the Resident Evil game playing when I made a decision that I didn't want to have a heart attack. So. <laughs> well, I am a full-on Resident Evil nerd when it comes to the games. Me and my brother, we love them, we go through them. Ron's not as much of a gamer in terms of keeping up with modern-day controls and reflexes, but he'll sit down with me for every one of them, help me through some of the more puzzle-teasing elements, because I'm dumb as a bag of hammers, I'm just good at aiming and shooting things, so between the two of us we can beat these games. And I don't remember anything about an orphanage in the first one, but this opens on an orphanage run by Umbrella, so you already know it's gonna go badly. I played this shit out of part one and two, and I remember zero orphanage. The second one, I know that they have Sherry in there, and when they did the remake of Resident Evil 2, the orphanage became a legitimate thing. That's where Sherry was. I didn't, I didn't play that. The movie here feels like it borrows not just elements from the first two games, but it's also borrowing elements from Resident Evil 2 as well as the Resident Evil 2 remake. So it's like a weird amalgamation of three very distinct games. But it mixes them fairly well. The only complaint I have is opening on an orphanage where you have... Claire and Chris being raised there and William Birkin, the scientist, is running the orphanage, it does feel like it shrinks the Resident Evil universe a little too much in terms of connections mm -hmm. versus Chris just happens to be a member of the STARS unit and yeah. his sister gets dragged in because he's dragged in. Mm -hmm. It starts to yeah. suffer from Star Wars Skywalker Syndrome where just yeah. everybody lives next door to each other. It's all too connected. Yeah. But that opening scene in that orphanage has legitimate chills. Yes. Holy crap. Oh. oh, it's so creepy. Oh my God. With one, orphanages at night are just creepy to begin with, but that weird character that I don't remember the name offhand. And again, I, I've played every Resident Evil I can think of. I played even like the light gun one, but I'm terrible with names. The deformed, not quite zombie girl but not human anymore, mm -hmm. who's in, like, wooden handcuffs with a bag over her head turned sideways so she looks almost two-faced because the bag yeah. has a face on it, but she's poking out from it. What is she? Who yeah, is Lisa she's Trevor? <laughs> she's I don't 
No. And you say bag, but it's literally made of faces. Like it's it's human faces stitched <laughs> okay, together. It's, like, it's a human face bag. Like it's somebody else's yeah. face. But it's an awesome aesthetic. Oh, she looks incredible. And I could not make out in that opening scene, is she friend or foe to young Claire Redfield? I, it's friendly ish. Really kind of ambiguous. She's friendly ish, yeah, but friendly-ish. the jump scare at the end when she kind of like leaps at Claire and she jolts awake from that memory makes it look like bad stuff was going to happen, but nothing yeah. did. It's really odd, but awesome, awesome atmosphere know. for it. And it not so subtly sets up just how bad the umbrella people are when they they have this orphanage but this weird kid thing is lurking around in the shadows mm-hmm. and when claire says where did you come from and what was it below. she grabs a piece of paper yeah and writes really angrily on the piece of paper below below <laughs> like are yeah. you kidding me but that's a brave kid claire cuz i oh, would yeah. my pants i would not have attempted to right. follow her nor would have I went into her little tent. Oh, yeah. Nope. We're watching that, and Crin's like, this kid has no fear. No fear. <laughs> None. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> also, fun side note, because I immediately recognized him. The actor playing William Birkin. Yes. Is also yes. our man, General Bison from Legend yes. of Chung-Li. Yeah. Yes, he is. I mean, maybe he's making the rounds of trying to be in every video game film. I will say I much prefer his performance in this to Bison. There's no weird yes, Irish yes. accent thrown in I mean, in he doesn't no have reason. much here, but he, yeah. But <laughs> what he has as it goes on, like at the beginning, he's just normal scientist who realizes the city is doomed. But when he turns Ooh. monster at the end, he's hamming it up in a way that I truly appreciate. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pretty decent in this. <laughs> so it was nice to see that he got another go around at video game movie stardom. And I think... I think he hit the mark this time. You know, I think he's got a he's got a funny pension because he's also in the Arrowverse. He plays a villain there, Damien Dark. Okay. And the more scenery he chews, the better he is. So I think he's found his niche. Well, I have to assume that they went down to like whatever studio is filming Arrow and started <laughs> grabbing some of the cast because Robbie Armell is in <laughs> yeah. this as well. So it does yeah. kind of seem like, hey, guys, do you have a free weekend? Let's let's make this movie. <laughs> kind of like how um, Jason X stars half the cast of Andromeda. It feels like the same thing where it's like, ah, we got some spare time. Let's make a horror film for laughs. <laughs> we finished shooting early. Come over here. We've got right. another thing to shoot. Yeah. And I mean, you know how all that goes. It's one of those things of, hey, there's a part and friends and whatnot. But it is weird to see them kind of jump from one universe to another. But yeah. they're both good in the role, like. The guy playing Chris Redfield, I enjoy him. Mm. I could believe him punching boulders if we went that far. It's fine. <laughs> he has easily one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Please, let us know when we get to it. But yeah. one thing I do want to comment on, and it's a small thing, but I really appreciate it. I'm glad they didn't modernize it. They kept it in 1998. Agreed. That is my second favorite thing about this movie. And that also helps make it work. Yeah, because... Yes. I, a lot of this would fall apart with modern technology and cell phones yeah. that would allow people to kind of communicate more effectively. You couldn't shut off a town effectively from the rest of the world to run experiments in the modern age, yeah. at least not in a way that I believe. But in 98, I can buy it. That's why Stranger Things is in the 80s. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. It just wouldn't work. One of, the, one of the best lines at the beginning is she's like, oh, I was talking to this guy in a chat room. And just Chris being like, what the hell is a chat? Yeah. <laughs> I did yeah. write that down. It's I thought 1998. That was yeah, it's, it's still early yeah. internet and only the, the, nerd yeah. the nerds know that stuff. He's just trying to figure out my space yeah. right now. He hasn't made it that far yet. <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love, yeah, you go to, you know, 1998, Claire's jolted awake inside the truck with the truck driver. So we're following the plot of the Resident Evil 2 story. And that truck driver was talking so much that I thought he was going to take him to Willy's Wonderland. He was <laughs> that much of a chatterbox. And she's just yeah. as fed up with them. I wanted her to just give the Nicolas Cage stare at him. It was <laughs> great. Yeah. And then he hits a zombie. And oh my God. So the- I don't think she was full zombie yet. No. And that's another thing that's great about this. This is my favorite thing about the movie is that the beginning people aren't 
zombified yet fully. But yes. they're, they're not all there. They're, right. They're not all there. They're turning, but they're not your traditional full zombie. Yeah, because when she gets up and walks away, we're like, oh, they're not full zombie or else she would have been after them. Right. So <laughs> yeah. this is something that I think it captures from the games exceptionally well, but the games do it in back matter. And here you get to see it in real time. You think of Resident Evil 2, especially when you're in the precinct and going through in the game, the number of journals you come across or hand scribbled notes of people where they're describing everything that happened before you got there, including yeah. journals of people who are turning. And as their entries are going on, they're becoming it's... less coherent and creepier. Yeah. And this gives you a chance to see that happening to the residents in real time. Little things yes. like yeah. the woman working at the diner where she's bleeding from the eye and just kind of going oh, yeah, that happens sometimes, and writing it off. The kid in the neighboring house with the hair coming out and yeah. balding. And... and the mother writing in blood on the window, itchy tasty, which is right yeah. out of the second game. Yeah. That's one of the journal yeah. entries. Yeah. Itchy tasty. And oh, man. I like when they get to the gate at the police precinct, and they're speaking. Yeah, they're starting they're to ask for help. just evolving into yeah. the... Uh, yeah. Right. Like, they start and... to do... Oh, it's so good. It's you so have good. some of them asking for help and some of them just trying to say weird nonsense stuff because mm -hmm. their brains are breaking down as they yeah. kind of slowly die off or get... It's weird. It's not the traditional zombie idea of you die and come back. You just turn. Yes. And it's so unnerving to watch it happening. Yeah. It's really effective. But the first case of it is the woman who just walks out into the middle of the road while our trucker guy is trying to like put a hand on Claire's leg and oh man the impact he hits her with and she, like he goes another 50 feet but she doesn't get knocked off right away she's hanging on top of it and her hand hanging is on, the on there and then when he hits the brakes yeah. she just flies off of it yeah and for those who haven't seen and it or haven't played Resident Evil we're not talking about a pickup truck no, we're talking, we're talking about like a fuel tanker. No, yeah, yeah. And it's then of course him running out there and going like, you know, she came mm. out of nowhere, or you saw that, right? I had no choice. Mm. You know, it, it's not my fault. Oh man, we can't get the cops involved. And then she just gets up and walks away, and they're not <laughs> looking. And I love the small, subtle touch of his dog runs out there and licks up oh, the blood. Oh man. Yeah. And oh. you're right there, you're like, well, that dog's screwed. Right. As soon as you see that, yeah. Grin's like, oh, no, what's that dog doing? I'm like, setting up the story for later. <laughs> the yeah. dog's giving us foreshadowing. And then shortly after that, to me, is the creepiest shot in the whole film. Which one? Is when she's looking for the girl, and she looks into the oh. woods, and she's standing in the woods, staring at her. Yeah. yeah. And it was just, yeah. she's far enough, but she's still focused on her, and it's so dark, you can almost barely see her. I was like, wow, that's freaking creepy, man. And it's the fact <laughs> yeah. that they're not at that point yet where they're trying to, like, you know, bite them, feed on them, whatever, yeah. but they're just not acting normal. Yeah. It's really, really unsettling, and I love yeah. it. <laughs> it's so disconcerting. It is. And, of course, now you've got the ticking time bomb that is the dog, because the dog's still with the trucker, and we know the dog's going to turn, and he's traveling along towards the city so you know that he's going to bring it with him but it almost doesn't matter because ha um, what I'd say over half the residents of the city have been drinking the water and slowly getting infected yeah like there's no avoiding this if you go into raccoon city yeah. you're part of the experiment yeah what I what I actually appreciate is that like neither the trucker nor the dog actually bring the virus they're no, just they just casualties of going to raccoon they're just casualties of going to Raccoon City. But yeah. they, because they're there, they're just casualties of the city. It was already screwed. Yeah. Like, she's well, coming back to blood, a cursed... would have been okay. Yeah. <laughs> she's coming back mm -hmm. to a cursed town and doesn't realize it. Yeah. And it creates genuine kind of dread for the audience. Because you know, you're seeing these things play out through the different characters when it's going from her to Leon. And that's when you see the diner woman's bleeding eye. Like, we can put the pieces together as the audience to see that this is going downhill rapidly. And it's like that idea of the ticking bomb in the room, but nobody knows except the audience. Yeah. And you just, you feel bad for them. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know where it's headed. Yeah. And 
just little things like them doing the the clock that it'll cut to where it'll say, you know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Yeah. There's yes. only one reason to have a timer like that to let you yeah. know that it's building towards something really bad. Yeah. Well, and they tell you <laughs> relatively early that, like, they're destroying the city at 6 a.m. Yes. You find that out pretty early. And I oh. like that the characters don't necessarily find that out right away. As an audience, you know, so you're no. like, oh my god, speed up, do something. Yeah. And you know yes. what? They actually paced the timing of the, all that really well. They do. Every time it told you mm-hmm. the new time, I never felt like, really, they got there in an hour or they... I felt that, yeah, that much time probably would have passed for them to be where they are now. Yeah, and it was usually in hour-long increments, though my favorite is 5.55 (laughs) a.m. Yeah. Because you're thinking, you guys got five minutes to get out of Dodge. You can't jump to six, it's too late. (laughs) Yeah. But I did enjoy that. And I'm going to bring this up now because, again, Wayne, I know you're kind of a music fan like myself. I feel like this score, which I'm probably going to go grab a copy of, watching a second time, I was really happy with the score for it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a ripoff of it, but it does feel like a strong homage to Prince of Darkness by John Carpenter. It has Ooh. that same kind of like choir going in the background mixed yeah. with repeated dun, 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 mm-hmm. with a little bit of synth to it. Like it's it's good. It's tense and yeah. it fits really well. And every time that they switch from that to do a genuine song, it's mm-hmm. always played to comedic effect. Yeah. And I think it works really well because the score is a genuine tension. And then mm-hmm. you'll cut to ridiculous things like, um, what song was it playing when the truck it's driver so, comes in on fire Mariah into the Carey. precinct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a Mar- it's a Mariah Carey song. And I forget which one. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I think and it, it made might me laugh because I was like, right. I think it might 90s, be the same one from Free Guy. Games. It might be the same. I think it's Sweet <laughs> Fantasy, maybe. I don't know. Uh, is be. it? No. No? I can't remember if that was released then. No, is it? Oh, I don't Either know. way. I don't know. Between that, the music when the chief tries to get out of the city and Raccoon City forces start tearing everything up, every time there's a moment that should be terrifying and they want to play it up for laughs, their choice of song for it, the needle drops they have, are really good. But I feel like they only work because the score is fantastically tense any other time. It's a good tension and release, right? Chief was awesome. Oh, he's amazing. Chief (laughs) is so so good. good. Had he lasted the whole film, he may have been the best character. (laughs) You knew he he wasn't going to make it. No, I know he wouldn't, but had he, he would have been the best character. He steals every scene he's in. (laughs) Yeah. Every scene he's in. Like, oh, what's the mansion? Oh, well, you see, the mansion is, what the fuck are you doing here, Leon? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my favorite is, and jumping ahead, when everything's gone to hell, and the chief realizes, Mm -hmm. you can tell, the chief knows just enough about what's going on in the city that he can see when it's time to get out. He's not in on everything, but he knows. (laughs) He knows, it's time to go, I need to leave. And when Leon's like, well, we gotta call somebody, he's like, we're the cops. Who are we going to call? <laughs> yeah. Like who, who's in charge now? You are. You are. I'm sure your dad will be you real are. proud. Good luck. Yeah. Godspeed. Best of all TSC around slams the car door drives <laughs> yeah. away. But I'm sure you're, I'm <laughs> so sure good. your dad will be proud of the useless piece of garbage you are or something. Like he insulted him in that line. He's like, sure. Yes. His worthless son. I'm sure your dad will be proud of his yeah. worthless son or something. Like that. Oh man. He's so, he's, he's so brilliant. Fantastic. And again, this, the correct level of hamming it up. He's not playing a realistic performance. He's playing just melodramatic enough about it that it's funny. Yes. Which is kind of great. And most of the performances kind of go along that same line. I really like Chris in this. I like Jill. Mm -hmm. She's handled well. Claire's great. Let's get to the elephant in the room. What did they do to Leon? (laughs) I wasn't impressed with what they did with Wesker either. But yeah, Leon, Leon was yeah. so bad. I I for, almost forgave Wesker. <laughs> for me, I don't mind Wesker as badly because he's a main villain. It seems like it's before his it's before his heel turn though. He hasn't fully heel turned here. So which is why is how I took it, but I agree that's not in line with yeah, he's, he's a main villain like, right from one <laughs> from from day one, yeah. yeah. So that was a pretty big change. They, they, that's a big change. 
They went from but I, he's yeah, But I think they didn't it. have time to have two bad guys, right? That, yeah, that's, that's just it. You have to show the tyrant. So we're, we're going to lead to the tyrant being the bad guy. Wesker will just be this guy that sold them out in the meantime. Well, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. So they make the change of making Wesker betraying the Stars team. So he's still a traitor, but he's not the big bad who's behind it all. Instead, they make Birkin kind of the big bad who's behind it all. Whereas in the game, Birkin, while being a scientist and part of that corporation, is kind of a victim of them. Yeah, He's kind of manipulated by them because he wants to use this research to make something positive. Yeah. And it gets out of control and he's accidentally infected when he gets shot up by Wesker's team. Yeah. In this, Wesker tries to steal the stuff from him and he intentionally injects himself after he's been shot so that he won't die. Right. So they do make enough changes to make Birkin kind of the de facto villain. Yeah. And Wesker is he's not necessarily evil, he's a dick, but he's yeah. not really evil even by the end of this, I'd argue. Like, yeah, he shoots Birkin, no, no. but Birkin also shot him first. He tells Birkin's wife, don't do it, and she tries to shoot him, so he gets her real good in the head. And then he's mm -hmm. telling the kid, like, don't pick up the gun, don't do it. And even after he's been taken out, as he's dying on the ground, he's like, I never would have shot the kid. You guys know that, right? Like, he still doesn't see himself yeah. as a yeah. bad guy. It's a big shift. And it, yes. I see what they're doing because they're trying to make the, the monster the villain. So let's make Birkin more evil than he was. <laughs> Yeah. But it does steal a bit of Wesker's thunder. Yeah. So it's and I, and I was, I'm a fan one of my of only complaints. So that was a little disappointing. Especially if you're a fan of Wesker, because yeah. I love Wesker. Same here. I think he's, he's awesome. Absurd. But Leon was so bad, I, yeah. I, I gave the him a break. All right. I, so for a, for a character that they, adapting-wise, they're adapting a character who's the star of the second game. And a badass. And, and he's badass. In all, in every subsequent iteration, except this, this well, he's a bumbling buffoon. So here's the thing about that: I feel like they just overcorrected. If you go back and play the second game again, Leon's a bit of a naive idiot throughout all of it, and he's an okay fighter, but he's a naive idiot for most of it. And sure. by four, because of everything he went through in number two, he's a legitimate badass. Even yeah, in the remake, you play. But you played, you play Leon. So right. sure, no so matter a sense what, of he you, has skill. <laughs> you're the badass. You're the yeah. badass because you play. Fine. He's a badass because you're the badass because you beat the game with him. But like he makes it because of you. He gets by by the skin of his teeth in the second one, and he's constantly being duped, fooled, and believing things he shouldn't, and mm -hmm. falling for traps he shouldn't. In the second one, even in the remake, in the fourth one, mm -hmm. he's an unstoppable force of nature. Yeah. God help us yes. if we bring him back. And over the course of this film, he does become slightly more competent. And I do like the one line near the end where they're all trying to escape the facility. And Chris comes into contact with Leon again and looks a little mm. bit shocked that he's there after <laughs> meeting him earlier. And Leon goes, I'm just as surprised as the rest of you guys. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> yeah. Everybody else died, but the guy that shouldn't. How the hell's that happen? Yeah. So they do make him a bit of a buffoon. He's an endearing idiot. Like he's not unlikable. Mm -hmm. yeah. But even for like first day on the job rookie, how did he get through police academy? Yeah, he's terrible. Did he come from the actual movie police academy? Because he seems like he might. Yeah. Have. Like Leon is so bad. I don't even believe him as a cop. Yeah. Like that's a pretty far departure from. Well, he his gets character. his. Gun stolen from him by a prisoner on the other side of the the iron bars. Yes, yes. He, he's he's terrible. Almost gets eaten several times. Yeah, he gets yes. his life saved by Claire, the motorcycle wanderer. He's not impressive. No, no, and he's openly mocked for most of the movie. Of the movie, but he does come like, in with that clutch win. We'll talk about it at the end because mm -hmm. that might be my favorite sure. moment of the film. Because it fully embraces the, the level game. of ridiculousness the games have. Yeah. But we'll get to it. Yeah. Quick question. Favorite cameo, favorite throwaway line, favorite, any favorite callback to the actual games? Because mine is, hey, would you rather be crushed by a giant snake or devoured by a great white shark? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what question yeah. is that? Because as we one. know, in the GameCube version, not only is the giant snake there, yeah. so is the great white shark. 
<laughs> what is wrong with Umbrella? Their experiments yeah. are madness. Yeah, I don't have a favorite line other than the ones from the Chief because he's amazing. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good one, but it, in terms of callbacks to the games for me, it was actually more about the settings. Like, okay. they captured a lot of the mm-hmm. settings that I was like, like the foyer of the precinct. I was like, son of a bitch, is that, that's almost like right out of the game. And some of the, the mansion, I was like, Jesus, they did some really good capturing of what the mansion or the precinct looked like in the game. Some some areas, other areas, not as much. Well, I looked into that, and there's a reason for it. Capcom gave them the blueprints for the uh-huh. RPD and for the Spencer Mansion. So oh, those layouts are accurate, yeah. which is awesome. Because when they're going through the Spencer Mansion later, I was like, this is the right path. They're going through the correct yeah. rooms. This yeah. layout is correct. Mm-hmm. I'm blown away by the ridiculous attention to detail. Mm-hmm. It's staggering. Yeah. Especially when they first walk into the mansion. I was like, man, the staircase, oh. the, the doors, they got the doors in the right spot. They got the rooms behind the stair. Like, they nailed it. <laughs> the nice overhead tracking shot dropping yeah. below them as they go yeah. into the room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, in terms of, like, callbacks for me, it's it goes back to my favorite scene with Chris alone in the, in the mansion. Oh, where that is awesome. It's just, it's an awesome scene, and it, I don't know. For me, it just made me feel... It's a claustrophobic feeling scene, and like yeah. the first time you played Resident Evil, that's the feeling. You're almost claustrophobic, because yeah. it when you run into a zombie in a hallway, and again, like you know, that generation, like you're trying to walk around the zombie, and you're doing the weird like <laughs> the tank, oh, 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 like the yeah it's like tank the tank controls, controls right? forward, yeah. back, turn, forward. yeah, like and it just made me feel that claustrophobia again, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, and by that point, the team has either been separated or eaten, so it's just him. Mm-hmm. And that wicked sequence where his lights have run out, so now while he's trying to fight off a horde of zombies, the only light you get as the audience is when his gun goes off. Yes. That is awesome cinematography, yeah. and it builds the tension because it it's... comes this almost... It was almost like this stop-motion tableau of Chris fighting for his life. <laughs> it had... That's another callback for me. Like it had a little callback to that doom feel. Yeah. Where I felt like I was watching a cutscene from a video game. Yeah. I felt like bit. it was like I almost felt, like I a felt like I was playing it when he ran yeah. out of bullets and then back yes. to the knife and he's got the knife. <laughs> the and knife. I'm like, I've been in that situation in Resident Evil a thousand times. Yeah. Run out of bullets, you're like, damn it, yeah. I'm down to this stupid knife. Yeah. That kind of stuff is what makes the film work for me. Right? Like, that's mm-hmm. a good example of that tense moment, and then they'll immediately follow it up with something that gives you a good laugh. Because, in my opinion, really effective horror is dread mixed with comedy at the right time. Right? right. Like, that's yeah. that's what it's always been for me, because that's what 80s horror is. Yeah. And this captures that. Yeah. And that, to me, is the kind of stuff that really works well for this. All of these kinds of like, you know, tense moments, all of these different kind of homages they have. There's a lot of stuff that they pull, not just like, again, like plots and characters, but like the iconic first zombie in the Spencer Mansion, that mm. head turn. That's right That's out of the game. That's right out of the original. Right out of the game. Awesome. Yeah. Wesker playing the Midnight Sonata on the piano to open up the secret door. That's one of the puzzles. Now, and you know what's cool about that? When they walk into that room, he looks at the piano, he's about to sit down. I turn to Christina, I'm like, Moonlight Sonata. Right. Uh, yeah, I was like, it has to be. And when he started playing, she looks at me and gets a nods. But I was like, it's just a throwback. It's awesome. That to me shows a filmmaking team where it's not just, oh, we want to make a Resident Evil game. These are people who have played the games and want to make a Resident yeah. Evil movie that is the game. Yes. Yeah. yes. There are so many things that they pull that really are kind of not just accurate, but intertwined in my opinion an intelligent way they find a way to make the plots of Resident Evil 1 with going to the Spencer Mansion and Resident Evil 2 with the outbreak happening and kind of like holding up in the precinct line up pretty well actually Yeah. though I did have to laugh once again let's go safe Bravo team useless (laughs) useless Bravo Bravo team team. (laughs) why not just start with Alpha team that's who these guys are why not just start with them I genuinely actually did like, though, with the movie, how it would be easy for the movie made by someone else to throw Chris and Claire together as fast as possible. Yeah. They wait till the end. She legitimately gets to the mansion. 
as he's legitimately going through the mansion. So they don't force that interaction doesn't feel forced. Yeah. Sure. She might be a bit of a, a, you know, a deuce ex machina for when she arrives to save him, but she's naturally going there and naturally taking the course of the movie to get there. Cause it's not her original destination. She's not ever going to the mansion intentionally first. Correct. She's going to the precinct, but he's gone. And then from the precinct, they go to where the chief tells them to go. Yeah. And then from there, that uh, Lisa character gets them to the below, which takes them to the mansion. It just, it all makes so much sense. It never feels forced. Yeah. It naturally flows. Yeah. 100%. And it never feels too contrived. It feels too small of a universe again. Like I said, like everyone's mm-hmm. connections, like you have a love triangle happening between Jill Valentine, who's in love with Wesker. But Chris is in love with Jill and Wesker's in love with treachery. Like <laughs> there's all sorts of like stuff happening there. And there's some weird antagonistic relationship happening between Claire and Chris because he feels that Claire abandoned him because she ran away from the evil orphanage that, as far as I can tell, was going to sacrifice her to experiments, but then didn't do that to Chris. I never really understood how he ended up having mm-hmm. the perfect upbringing. <laughs> it's really odd. Yeah, I don't know either. All of the intertwined relationships are different than the game, but they do work well enough that I don't question them with the exception of, again, the swapping of Wesker and Birkin in terms of who the real villain is that I still am not 100% on board with, but it is what it is. Yeah, it doesn't bother me as much just because I think the moment you set up Birkin as the guy running, like because they chose to do the orphanage, Birkin has to be your villain. Yeah, because he's I doing dis- he's doing yeah. he's doing despicable things to kids, so he doesn't get to the end and get to be a victim. Less, yeah, like he doesn't get to be a victim. He's choosing to do horrible things, and again, that's a choice they made. They didn't have to make that choice, but the second they did, you're like, okay, well, he's the villain. Like, well, I think the moment the you lose him as a sympathetic villain is when he's got his family in the the. Mm scientific yeah. room and that one child zombie who's got her rib cage open he brings his half the organs there. missing and she's still like making noises and talking but she can't move because she's strapped down and dude you brought your daughter into this room the wife and daughter just yeah. hugging staring at this thing it's like right you so tell you could, wait inside the room yes <laughs> yeah so that you can go collect your samples at yeah. that point you yes. don't get to be sympathetic yeah. <laughs> yes and that's darker than anything the games did. Yep. Like, they never made him yeah, that twisted. dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's twisted. And I, uh, for me, it's the moment you realize they were experimenting on the kids. When Claire finds that room. Oh, with the movie? It's like, oh. And with the movie, and then just, the, it's the list. Dad, dad, it's got dad. all the kids' names. Deceased, deceased, deceased. You're like, okay. like that. For me, that's when it's like, okay, well, clearly... The guy running the orphanage was a monster. Yeah, you don't feel bad for him when he gets shot. No. feel bad for his wife and kids. So, as a Resident Evil nerd, that was something that I found really interesting. So, she finds the the catalog, let's call it, Mm -hmm. the database, the whatever, of all these dead kids, this this logbook, but also that old film she puts on. And correct me if I'm wrong, because Wayne, I know you played Code Veronica. Mm -hmm. The two creepy kids on that... The twins yeah. on that yeah. film tearing apart the moth and leaving it for the ants to eat. Yeah. Those are from Code Veronica. Yeah. That's a really weird connection to make because they don't follow up on it in any way just to show that he was involved with that stuff. I wonder if that's just kind of planting some seeds that if this does well, I hope we're going to do another yeah. Resident Evil and then we'll do three and well, Code Veronica together. That would be cool. Yeah. That would be. Let's give Code Veronica some love. Scene. <laughs> I love Code Veronica. The end credit, the end credit scene certainly sets up like they think they're getting a sequel. So I beat Code Veronica the, the, end, the end credit two and a half yeah. times. So yeah. <laughs> only once fully, but I went through it time. like three quarters of the way a few times first. So <laughs> Code Veronica is the Resident Evil where I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not. I can't play these <laughs> games. Stretchy arm I was guys. there for that moment when when he he gave was up. he was there. We were taking I was, turns. I was there when Mark that gave up. He's like, that's it. I'm done with Resident yes. Evil. <laughs> but I we like were taking have... turns playing the game, and I had to not take my turn. I was like, I can't. It's your turn still. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great that they have that connection to that, 
in this film. Like, it's neat some of the things that they kind of, as you said, they might be playing the seeds for a future film, or it might just be a fun kind of Easter egg for the fans. But it's kind of cool to use a deep cut like Code Veronica that doesn't even get a number in the title. Like, it doesn't get the same love as the, the numbered entries. For sure. And it's one of the better games, so it's yeah. kind of nice that they... That's to the me, one I want to remake. That for. shows that these guys are fans. Yeah, I agree. The fact that yeah. they want to make a callback to Code Veronica shows that they're Resident Evil fans. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of oh, awesome. And then, I mean, we haven't touched on it, but some of the, the makeup and CG work for the zombies oh. overall is really strong. For sure. I love so, the dog. The dog looks... Yeah, the dog looks really Super good. creepy. Mm-hmm. So... That's maybe one of the areas where I'm torn. Okay. I think the makeup is phenomenal. Some of the CG, not all, some. I was like, some. like the yeah. liquor. The liquor, the liquor I wasn't could a have fan. been better. They can, they can never get the liquor right. That's it's all tough. I kept thinking. It's like, I, so it looked like the a liquor. liquor right. It did. It just wasn't it the best effect. That's all. Yes. So yeah. and that one's tough because even like playing the Resident Evil 2 remake where it's like, hyper amazing graphics and it you know next gen kind of stuff the liquor is a really weird design because it's all musculature and open musculature with no skin over it so it's got this wet Mm -hmm. slick look to it at all times and Mm -hmm. the movie version here captures that it always looks wet but not wet with water and it's really (laughs) off-putting yeah but i think they captured that I feel this movie though just that that scene felt like we got to throw the liquor in. Yes. Well, yeah. So here's a scene just to throw it in. So I mean, it only lasts like five minutes. No, exactly. <laughs> What's funny is like what I always found in the in the first game, the hunters were tougher than the liquors. They absolutely it's are. Like, but none of the movies ever show the hunters because the hunters a big frog, <laughs> dude. You can't yeah, use that. They look like little trolls. <laughs> <laughs> they look yeah. like. Bizarre werewolf frogs. You can't use those. But I hate that. The, the liquor one comes looks out the amazing. Door, walks slowly at you, jumps, kills you. I can, <laughs> anybody who played that, yeah. you died the first yeah. time you yep. saw a hunter. Yeah, but one shot kill hunters. Yeah. Yeah. I do like how they use the liquor in terms of introducing it in this. When mm. I think it's Leon looks down at the end of the hallway of the orphanage, and you've got the ceiling lights that are kind of like hanging, and, and one starts moving forward. Not like it's swinging back and forth, it just yeah. moves forward, and the next one moves like they're swinging like vines because it's shifting its weight across them. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. I really yeah. liked that. Thought that was cool. Yeah. And then yeah. poor Chief Irons, he poor just Chief. gets noped out of there. Yeah. But moments like that are really cool. And then the the coup de grace, Birkin, after injecting himself, turning into G-Virus Birkin, turning mm-hmm. into Tyrant Birkin. Yeah. His acting is awesome. over the top. The he looks cre- good, yes. too. The creepy, he looked good. When his arm starts transforming and starts yeah. stretching mm-hmm. out and the fingers start kind of ripping Split. apart. Yeah. Oh, Christina was grossed out by the eyes that were yeah the popping multiple out. And the eyes, eyes. Yeah. when the eye that grosses me out <laughs> pops like when it when it like pops the skin and opens yeah. I was like and and it's things scenes like that or when he's still talking and it's still growing yeah out of his back and it's growing up his neck and I was like it seems like that that made me disappointed in the liquor because I was like okay. you have the CGI for this this looks incredible. Well, they spent it so all on How was the liquor? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, how was the liquor so wrong? Yeah, you know what? They probably did. They probably went and were like, we need to add they a definitely scene didn't the spend liquor. it on the final version of the tyrant. Oh, <laughs> oh man. it looked incredible. It got out of control. And I like that it got... even after he grows to be somewhere around a 30 foot monstrosity, his face is still buried up in its like upper peck yeah. and still yeah. talking. As soon as you pop through the train, I told Christina, I said, okay, this is a little, not a little, it's a lot overdone from what he looks like in the game when he's in his final form. Yes. But we finally get, we finally get to my single favorite moment of the (laughs) film because they have thrown all logic out the window and went, well, the game does it. We have to do it. They're on the train. They're trying to escape. The explosion is happening. Birkin monster form has torn the train open. Claire's on the ground. Chris is firing a pistol and has nothing left. And Leon just comes out with a rocket launcher. (laughs) 
yeah. out of nowhere and gives the explanation. I found it in first class. Yeah. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. I and I loved it, it makes, for the game aspect. It makes just as much sense as the end of the first game. You're fighting, you're fighting, and then I think Barry's like, here, use this, and throws a rocket launcher out of nowhere. And same thing with the second game, a rocket launcher out of nowhere. Like, it has no purpose there other than, I remember when we saw it in the theaters, you and I both looked at each other, Mark, and started laughing because, oh my god, they did it. They actually did it. it. (laughs) They did it. I love it. Gets huge points for that. And then, yeah. arguably the best slash dumbest ending ever, you have the, <laughs> the tunnel, and you have Raccoon's report about, you know, outbreak is contained, and explosion mm-hmm. is done, research is, mm-hmm. you know, destroyed, and then, you know, civilian survivors, civilian zero, survivors zero, and as it says zero, Sherry Birkin, Leon Kennedy, Claire and Chris Redfield, and I think Jill Valentine all come walking yeah. out looking like badasses and it just cuts to credits. Yeah. Yes. That's it. There's no resolution. They don't even have a chance to be like, and now we'll take on Umbrella or thank God we got out of there live. Yeah. Nothing. Nope. They haven't even nope. finished walking out of the tunnel and yeah. it's just Resident Evil. The smoke is still cu- clearing. The yes. smoke is still clearing. Yes. And it's hilariously stupid and yet at the same time kind of brilliant yeah <laughs> i love that ending because you don't need more well that's the cheesy it's a cheesy 80s ending it is done. you almost expect it instead of the end to say you win <laughs> almost <Yes. laughs> you yeah. win and then you get your you know last scene there of wesker coming back yeah. from the the dead With which is only eight. awesome because he's in the body bag and yeah. the acting of him sitting up and looking around freaking out in the body bag trying to get out of it yeah. yes yeah i loved his acting there actually just the uh, uh, and <laughs> because like we have to explain open. away everything now bringing him back from the dead had side effects including his eyes are sensitive so now he's got the wesker sunglasses, the sunglasses. I didn't need that explanation, but congratulations, you soloed this film and gave a yeah. dumb explanation for things that were already fine. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. I hope it gets a sequel, and otherwise Ada Wong only had like five yeah, lines of dialogue. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The throwaway cameo of Ada Wong. This movie <laughs> is fun. It is cheesy. It is at mm-hmm. times incredibly stupid, but not stupid in a way where it thinks it's smart and you disagree. It knows it's being dumb yeah. and you get to be in yes. on that joke. Like I'm yes. down for that. It's it's a thoroughly entertaining ride. I, I can I, see, I definitely recommend it. I can see if you're not a gamer or you're not familiar with the Resident Evils. If you watch this movie, yes. you know what? It's probably cheesy. You're probably like, well, that was kind of cheesy and dumb. Not yeah. bad, just cheesy and dumb. If you're a Resident Evil fan and you think this is cheesy and dumb, then you need to go back and play part one and two again. Because I think you forgot how cheesy they actually are while being survival horror. Yeah. See, to me, it's not even if you're a Resident Evil fan. If you like 80s horror films, you should like this movie. Because it's an 80s horror movie. I, w- I wish Chris was on the podcast because, like, 80s horror. Like, that's... That's his thing. That's his jam. He loves this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't even get through this movie. He shut it off. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's like, this was the dumbest thing we've ever seen. We shut it off. We couldn't yeah, even but he I didn't like, like Mortal Kombat no, either, I know. so I don't trust his opinion. But even, but even Victor was <laughs> diehard. Victor's diehard horror, and he didn't like. He was like, ah, eh, nothing special. I don't know. I think, I think when you watch this through the eyes of what Resident Evil One and Two actually are, this movie mm-hmm. nails it. Yeah, sure. There's a few questionable decisions. For me, if you're gonna have this type of humor, how did you not have Barry Burton in this movie? Or even make the chief. Mm-hmm. Call the chief Barry Burton. There you go. You, right. It's weird because they had, what was it, Richards. Yeah. And yeah. I felt like Richards was the Barry character. Yeah. like And then so, he got eaten. <laughs> so it's just, why not Barry Burton in there if you're going to have these cheesy lines and have him deliver them? Uh, again, not make or break. It's There's, a no. few, like I said, a few questionable changes. Nothing major. But this captures what Resident Evil 1 and 2 are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's little things they change. But overall... I'm satisfied with it, and I wasn't sure I would be. Yeah. I After 17 movies of <laughs> really bad Resident Evil movies, and I, I'm telling you right now, the last one, the last one was so bad, I almost walked out and turned it off. But I, I powered through it. It's and, 
so bad. <laughs> and the funny part is, this isn't the last one. Netflix has one coming out here shortly. Well, it's as a far series. Or is that a series? It might be a series. It's, it's a, a series. series. It's yeah. a series. As far as I know, if you can trust Wiki- like Wikipedia, IMDb, all that kind of stuff, this film, this reboot was announced while Resident Evil The Final Chapter was still in theaters. So the last movie of the Mila Jovovich ones was so bad, they said we're rebooting it before that one left theaters. (laughs) It's awful. It's awful. It's It's a shame, because the first one was good, and then they just kind of went off a cliff. Then they nothing to do with Resident Evil. Well, yeah. Downhill. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, some people who find this disappointing, they still just want that horror movie in a mansion, right? If you can do it in Evil Dead 2 in a cabin, why can't you do it in a giant mansion, right? I but guess, again, but I still think that's you keep never what Resident how Evil was. The first game really is. Yeah, like if you yeah. want dark, serious, quote unquote horror, sure. then you don't want Resident then Evil. He, exactly. Yeah, you want Dead Space. Go watch Silent Hill. Yeah, you want Dead Space. I think people get that confused, be, but because the game is classified as survival horror, which is the exact same classification for Dead Space, which is pure mm-hmm. horror. Sure. There's this notion that Resident Evil has to be scary all the time and no it doesn't it's actually extremely cheesy and funny as well any game yeah. that has Jill sandwiches and Masters <laughs> exactly. of Lockpicks both things brought up during this movie yep. you can't take it too seriously absolutely no and once you accept that I think then you'll have a better appreciation for this film yeah we'll bring this to a close and speaking of not taking things too seriously we're gonna have to take Tom Holland as a grown up adult seriously for what? Uncharted <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit of a stretch yeah. we're gonna go I've back to that and watch uh, we're gonna watch Mark Wahlberg miss out on the chance to play Nathan Drake and have to play Sully because it took that long to make this movie so we'll see mm. how does that hold up I know the answer because I've seen it <laughs> I know Mark's seen it because he watched it with me. Wayne, I don't know if you have or haven't. Not yet. No, we're going to watch it actually probably tomorrow. But it's coming. Oh, boy. We thank you for joining us on Press X to Reload. I have been Nick Moore. With me, as always, were Wayne Brissett and Mark Athanas. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Going to go get a Jill sandwich. Oh, man. Brains! I got some nice things on sale, stranger. What are you buying? <laughs> what are you selling? I'll buy it at a higher price. <laughs> Next time. Next time. You've been listening to Press X to Reload. Today's episode featured the voices of Mark Athenis, Wayne Brissett, and Nick Moore. Our theme music was composed by Jack Fierick and performed and realized by Sam Fierick. If you like what you've heard today, subscribe and never miss an episode. Or tell a friend, leave a review, we'll take all the bonus XP we can get. If you have suggestions or feedback, you can contact Nick Moore via his email, retrogamingfool at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next stage.